welcome to Safe Space and obviously you guys know me and Alicia. This is episode three now. Yeah. Time flies. And we are joined today by Mapalo. This is Mapalo. She lives with us and we love her. So <laughs> why don't you give us a bit of an intro? Who you are, what you do. Um, well, I'm Mapalo. My YouTube channel is The Backwards African. Um, I am currently in between times. I've just mm -hmm. graduated from college, um, Woo! which is sick form, <laughs> and I start university in January. I'm going to study midway through. It's literally so exciting. <laughs> you must be so excited. I am. I can't wait. Everyone's going to know when I deliver the first baby. So what kind of inspired you to want to be a midwife? Where did you kind of get that from? Oh, so when I was 10, um, I think a key thing to know is that I am adopted. Mm -hmm. So my birth mum passed away when I was born and I was adopted by her sister, my aunt, who's now my mum. Mm -hmm. And um, she's who I refer to as my mum mm -hmm. through and through. And when I was 10, she was telling me the story of my birth and how traumatic it was. And the midwife on duty made a decision that saved my life. And so I wanted to be that type of person. How are you feeling about going to uni? I'm so excited. I mean, I've been to boarding school. I've been to a different Let's country. talk about that. Let's talk about boarding school. <laughs> this is brilliant. How did boarding school kind of work? What was like a day-to-day? -day? A day-to-day. -day. So I was in a dorm room with, uh, there were three of us, mm -hmm. four beds, three people. Mm -hmm. And it was a massive space and we had our own bedroom, we had a desk and our own wardrobe, dressing area. It was just a personal space. We'd wake up at uh, seven and we'd have breakfast in the hall. Um, there were like six different things as options for breakfast for the different dietary requirements. Um, then we would go off to our first classes, we'd have two lessons, then break, which was half an hour. Then two more lessons and then lunch, which was 45 minutes. Then two more lessons and then we'd have a club that was compulsory. And then you'd have two hours of free time for tea. And then when you get back, there'll be roll call um, after lunch, uh, after dinner, where they would take the register. Just make sure everyone's around. Yeah. And then you do your homework for an hour, depending on what year group you're in. And then there was tuck time from eight o'clock until your bedtime. So you'd go down to the kitchen. They bring these gorgeous tuck boxes full of crisps, oh, toast, toasties, oh, so biscuits. And it'd just be a bonding time because um, yeah. it was from years nine to 13. We right, were living okay, in, yeah, yeah. in a boarding house and you just bond together. And... It's quite a like, large variety of ages really, isn't it? When you actually yeah. think about it. The whole time you were there, mm -hmm. how did you kind of find like the support you had? Did you have any? The most um, the most amazing part I think about it was the fact that my parents didn't need to know. Yeah, it's like that like yeah. confidentiality thing, isn't it? Because we spoke about this last week actually about how difficult it can be to be a certain age and your parents have to be involved and it's very yeah. hard. You don't get much privacy, so I can imagine that probably makes it slightly easier, I guess, to like talk about things that maybe you wouldn't want to speak about in front of them. Yeah, and also just um, my my mum does not believe in therapy at all. Yeah. So I would never have been able to get any support. Mm. It gave you an avenue to be able to yeah. do that without having to feel like you're essentially being like discriminated, I suppose. 
by my mum. So you say that your mum doesn't necessarily believe in, and we've had conversations about this sort of privately, mm -hmm. about how like your mum is very, necessarily doesn't believe in mental health, would you say? Mm -hmm. Or like, I mean, how far would you kind of, would you say she doesn't believe in it or that she doesn't want to? She doesn't want to. Yeah. So I've had mental health issues since I was very young. Mm. Mental health is just, it's a really, it's a, it's a choppy issue. There's no cut and dry. I'm dark skinned, mm. um, which shouldn't really be an issue. But when, during primary school, it was an issue with certain people, not everybody, yeah. I had really amazing friends, but there were a small group of people, and this is, the nature versus nurture argument. Yeah. They, you know, no one is born racist or homophobic right. or anything like yeah, that. Yeah. But they heard homophobic and racist language mm -hmm. or whatever type of language, whether it was yeah. anti-Semitic language at home, mm -hmm. and came to school and was replicating mm -hmm. that in the playground. We were playing, and in there were I think sixty of us in our year group, mm -hmm. and there were three dark-skinned people. Mm -hmm. One of these children, this girl, she came up to me. We were playing in our friendship and she goes I wonder what people taste like because we look like different colors of chocolate right okay and then out of nowhere she just goes I bet the parlor tastes like Cadbury's milk chocolate and I was like that's, that's such a strange thing, strange to, thing say. to say but whatever right? I, yeah. didn't really, I, I was seven I didn't really have a comeback yeah. for that and then I was just going about my business, playing with my friends. Then she comes out of nowhere and just picks up my arm and takes a chomp out of my arm. And then she goes, ugh, that's disgusting. That's not chocolate. And then she goes, my party needs to get back into the jungle where you came from. Oh my God. And I went back to my mum and I was like, oh my God. Oh my God, what, what just happened? I, I, you know, I didn't know what had gone on. No. And I, I was really, really confused. And um, my mum was just like, oh. That is whatever. like, for a seven-year-old child, that's heavy. I know. So it it was like, what is going on at home? Yeah. Where, where, where are you hearing this kind of stuff? Yeah. And that really weighed heavily on me. And mm. from this same person, I was getting so many racist remarks, racist yeah. comments, um, stuff like that. Mm. And um, when I was nine, it all just, culminated it built up yeah i had a, a, a breakdown mm -hmm. at nine years old nine years nine years supposed yeah, to play with barbies so and, young yeah and i um you know things were going on at home as well yeah. and i had just come to the conclusion that it was better off if i was wasn't on this planet anymore if i wasn't around um anymore and i um did attempt to take my own life nine and my mum found out and she came and found me and was like You've got no time to be sick. There's stuff that I you need to be doing. Um, my dad was not at home yeah. when this happened. And my mum didn't tell him. She didn't tell him because she doesn't believe in mental health. Right, yeah. She doesn't believe in it. She didn't tell him. And if I, when I went to bed, I could have died in my sleep. Yeah. And she knew and didn't yeah. tell him. That's pretty serious as well. Like even to like not get checked out at like a hospital or no, see a doctor. No. Like that's like first point of call it should be first point of call especially as a child i would say to kind of go to a doctor's and get checked we spoke we've spoken a lot about like young people's mental health and like children's mm -hmm. mental health and all that kind of thing but i think at nine years old that is young to mm -hmm. kind of feel so overwhelmed and 
obviously facing discrimination as a person of colour isn't something that should happen. If you were addressing other people that might be in the same situation as you right now, what, what would you want them to know? What would you say to them? You're, you're really not alone. Yeah. I was battling my mental health by myself mm -hmm. for a long time. Yeah. Six years yeah. um, until I first got to see a therapist. Mm -hmm. And, you know, therapy doesn't work for everybody. No. But perhaps try and take that step. Yeah. To be able to, to, be able to admit to it yeah. is massive. And I always Sweet. say that to people, you know, the first step is admitting that actually you know things might not be as okay as you're thinking they are and yeah. i think a lot of people find it very hard to acknowledge that and i think that is understandable because it is scary therapy isn't just for those who have been through trauma there's something that i say to anybody who comes in here and it's just like oh this is what's happened to me and then i'm like well from my experience and then i'm just like you could use this yada 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 and they're like well oh you need it more than me. Clearly yeah. your story is worse than mine. I'm yeah. like, there's no... It's not a competition. It's not a competition. Yeah. You've not felt what I felt. I've not felt what you felt. So there's no way that you can say that your trauma yeah. is worse than and mine. And I think as well, people feel things differently. What might be traumatic for you might not be for someone else. And what might be for them might not be to you. And I think it's just important that as human beings, everyone feels things to a different level. Yeah. And there are so many things that can play a part in that, you know, previous trauma, how you just are as a person, personality-wise, like, there is so much of it. And I think everyone has a way of dealing with things. And I think, yeah. you know, you have to kind of let people deal with how they want to, but it's about being there and telling people that, like, actually, okay, like, when you're ready, like, this is what you can do. This yeah. is where the help is. But yeah. if you're not ready, then you're not ready. I, obviously I've mentioned briefly that we live in here with you. Mm -hmm. Take us through your first day in here, because we touched on this in the first one, it was really funny. Your first 24 hours, you My walk in that door, time. what's the first thing that happens? It's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. Coming into a place like this is so daunting, yeah. and it doesn't matter who you are, where you come from, what your kind of emotions are, you could be the strongest person in the world and walking in here will still be overwhelming. Everyone in here is in here for a different reason. But everybody has come here for the same reason. For the same reason. Yeah. And it's a safe place when you don't have somewhere else. You walk in the door, you're greeted mm -hmm. by the lovely bloke, and then and then what do you do? And then you get to your flat. Like it doesn't matter who meets you downstairs. They take you upstairs and they're like, this is your home. They give you the keys. Mm -hmm. You sign for your keys yeah. and then you're left on your own mm -hmm. in your flat. And I remember when I got in there, I just sat down and I cried. I just cried. I was like, mm -hmm. I am here now. Like, I have, I, I've got to come to terms with the fact that I live in a place that supports people who are homeless. Mm -hmm. I was homeless yeah. for three months and I hadn't actually come to terms with that. I hadn't been able to say to myself, I didn't have a home. I was so disturbing. Um, and there are different types of homelessness. I think the first 24 hours is so overwhelming. It's so hard. Getting given a set of keys and being told like, this is your home is probably the scariest thing, especially at like 18. And it's different to going to university. Oh yeah. When you go to university, usually your parents are there crying. Oh my God, bye, oh, we're yeah, gonna miss yeah. you, we'll see you. You yeah. know, they'll FaceTime you when they get home. Yeah, they'll help you unpack your stuff. You come in. You know, when I came here, um, I had been staying in a travel lodge 
that my college had paid for because it See, was that's good. half term. That's good. Like the fact that they did that because yeah. a lot of colleges and a lot of the education system isn't as like clued up as like that. So that's I mean, my college was insane. They yeah. have been insane. That's the, good. The support and help that they've given mm. me. But I carried my whole life with mm. me. I had this big pink suitcase. I had six carrier bags. Like, without going into much detail about where we are, we're in quite a central location mm -hmm. and it's something that you walk past every day for years, especially if you've been in the area. Like everyone knows like everyone knows this building and everyone knows what it is. This building, when you're depressed, it's depressing. It's depressing. Yeah. And when you're not depressed, it's fine. You can fight, you know. This is the thing, and like this is something that I know we're both pretty hot on, is like this building, when you're in an okay mood, feels fine. Yeah, yeah. But when you're not, it literally just feels like the worst place in the world. Like it feels like it's just you can't think of anywhere else you'd rather be, like rather not be. I mean, I was in a shed before I got into a single. Oh my God, that shed. How's, how was that? We spoke about this as well. I mean, I love hearing other people's <laughs> stories about their shed. How was, how was your experience in your shed? The day before my health and social care exams, um, I wake up as I, I do. I wear glasses, mm -hmm. so I, I don't sleep with my glasses on. And when I wake up and I'm going to shower, I don't put my glasses yeah. on for that. I went to the bathroom turn on the light, the light switch, thank goodness, was right by the door. Because I was like, what's that smell? <laughs> <laughs> Person, but I'm clean. Like I don't like mold it. I mean, we've 
when me and Alicia get a bit depressed, like, the rooms get a bit messy. No, I absolutely understand that. And that, yeah. the depression thing, mm. that was something, the bins. I was like, the whole living on your own thing. Mm. When I was depressed at boarding school, mm. I just remember, you know, well, actually, I, I was, you know, I had help with, um, yeah, I just say I'm, I'm really not okay, yeah. and they'd help me with my washing. The bins were community bins yeah. downstairs, like they, they employed people to come and do our bins. But um, something that worried me, and it still worries me actually, is that when I'm really, really, really depressed, you, you won't catch me. The bin is so far away, like the outside oh, yeah. bin. I don't understand. You have to like go on a trek to go and put your bin. You need a bin key. Oh yeah, trust me. And then when you're depressed, the last thing you want to do is take your bin out. Yesterday I crawled out of my depression hole that I've been in for like a month, for approximately an hour, and then sunk back into it. But in the hour, I took that trolley up them stairs, and I put all my rubbish in that trolley, and I took it outside, and the manager now thought I was trying to run away because I had just had bin bags everywhere she thought I was doing a run up so I was just taking my rubbish out but it got bad and I'm like this is something we're both very open about to be honest like being depressed and trying to look after your space it's it's so so hard it's funny because the bin is the main thing I struggle with as well the bin I think it's because it's so far and it's like it is so far away it's like the road that's there there's it's very public. There's and it's just something yeah. about like carrying like heavy bin bags just down the road doesn't. It's quite degrading. I always like it is, yeah. going around the back though. Yeah. Instead of going out the back. Yeah, that's what I do. Because I think it's, I find it quite difficult to, obviously everyone takes their rubbish out. Yeah. But, but when you're depressed, when you're depressed and you so feel like hard. everyone's watching what you do anyway. Yeah. Like, the, I remember like last year when I was really unwell and it was just before I went into hospital actually. I, um, was going through this really bad depression and I was really struggling and then my key worker at the time was like you need to do your bin like we need to get this done and I was like mm-hmm. yeah I'll do it I'll do it I'll do it I kept putting it off and eventually I was like do you know what I need to do it and I went outside and I took my bin and I took I took it outside walked across the road and for some reason I thought every single person was staring at me do you know the worst thing happened actually I was in a bad place my um something had happened yeah. in the family and i was like oh i am just hanging on by my yeah, fingernails yeah. right now yeah. and i went to take my rubbish across the bin and then so where are where you have to walk there are shops opposite and um my bin bag split oh no and everything came that's out that's my worst nightmare my yeah. bin bag split and i i just i was like you know what this is if I am mm-hmm. done. For everyone listening or watching who doesn't know what we're talking about, there is a man slash group of men who stand outside our house and sing the YMCA song pretty much, it was at one point every Saturday. Mm-hmm. And I haven't heard him probably for a minute, but he'll definitely make a return. Yeah. Oh, I think he started. Someone he's, came on Saturday. He's probably back. We do live right opposite a pub. This is the old problem. We get pissed up people. Yeah outside the house all the time like there's been times i've gone to like, take my bin out in the morning there's like broken glass on the floor i think that's also like a big thing about the why people tend to forget like at the end of the day this is our house yeah like people see it as like <clears throat> a business or like an institution and like technically it is supported living yeah but at the end of the day like it's our home and people do tend to forget that mm-hmm. what's this on friday let's talk about it let's, let's talk, talk about, about it because this is half the reason i wanted you on this week because it is still I, I was so angry. So we had had arranged a meeting with our local MP. We got wind that he was coming to speak to us. The whole word, word he was 
to speak to us. Keyword, he came to speak to us. Mm -hmm. So we got very, you know, I was very prepared. I had literally a notebook full of like statistics and I'd been asking people over on the Instagram and stuff for if anyone has anything they wanted me to talk about, if anyone had any, I, ha I had other people's voices coming with me for this. Mm -hmm. This man turns up. We get told to be downstairs for 20 past two. We turn up at 2.15. 2.15, we're early for this man. We both got out of bed. I was having a like, nap. That's like that's something in, with my depression the way it is at the moment. I yeah. need my nap. Like I can't function. We'd, I'm just a zombie otherwise. Early cut the nap. Uh -huh. Got out of bed. Got had ready. A had a shower. You know, whatever. Came on a respectable outfit yeah, to meet a politician. You know, and we've been hyped up for the occasion. And this isn't the staff's fault because they were just as in the dark as we are. But we had been hyped. They were also hyped. They were also very hyped about this because yeah. this was something that we had pushed for and we have been pushing for for over a year now. So this kind of ties into last week's episode actually because obviously we had Alex on last week who spoke to us about her campaign which then went to our local MP and then that seemed to be going okay. So the one thing I wanted to speak to him about was because they'd pushed for early intervention hubs. That was the whole thing and you were obviously part of that and there was a massive push for like early support. And I wanted to know what the bloody hell was going on because we hadn't had an update on that for months. Yeah. He turns up to our home. That's the important bit. This is our home. You know, you get in, people come here and use the downstairs rooms for various counselling sessions, for interviews, for various reasons. But it's, but it's our home. People and are always usually very respectful. They're very respectful. Of the fact that this is, you know... Anytime we get anyone in from an outside agency, a visitor of any sort, everyone is very respectful. They're very respectful. And that's something that I think goes a long way for all of us because this is our... And I've had I've had quite a few interviews this year with the BBC, with Heart Radio, yeah. with um, various news agencies where they've come here to film me in my flat mm. and they've treated the downstairs owner with an amazing level of respect. And then they get up to film it in my home and they treat my home as if I'm literally living in a palace. They, that's the way they treat yeah. it. And that's they how it should showed be. an incredible level of respect. And that's how it should be. I've heard very good things actually about Heart Radio. It was amazing. Yeah. The interview, the way that man treated me was, you know, I would I've, love to. I've heard nothing about how good he was. But this MP turns up and he turns by up, the time we get downstairs, yeah. he's already here. I think he was in here actually in this room, he which is out the back of the building. And he was in here with a few of his mates and the big boss having a chat about gets, something. Gets to quarter past three. Three, quarter past three. I'd quarter say. past three, nearly half past three. An, an hour. Nearly we've an been hour. Standing in a, in the and we've been stood there and I was getting really fidgety and you were getting fidgety and you know, the staff were like, just wait, like it'll be worth it, we promise. Because at this point, they also didn't know anything was going to go wrong. So there was a lot of like calming us down and stuff. We were stood at the lobby waiting, politely, calmly. We've been calm, man. We've been mm -hmm. calm. He comes out of this room, oh, I'm incensed, and walks past the pair of us. Doesn't even cast a glance out, just walks straight past. Doesn't even say, oh, I'm so sorry, so whatever, nada, nothing. Mm -hmm. Just walks past, gets outside, stands there with his friends, and takes a picture. So you stayed in and the... And then he came back. Then he came back. And if there's something about me, I become incredibly polite the mm -hmm. more angry I yeah, am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I shook his hand, and I was like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then he goes, the first thing he says to me, he goes, so, what's it like living in here then? 
And I shut that down. I said, no one in here is in here because we just walked in and we want to be. He um, then goes and says, so how's it, you know, you know, he goes, what's it like living with him? And I was like, it's amazing. You know, it's been a roof over my head, but more, more than that, it's been a home. It's allowed me to center myself, to focus, to pass my exams, um, to create a safe study space to pass my exams. And then, he goes, so what are you going to do with yourself now? And I said, well, I have actually been accepted into uni. I'm going into uni. I start in January. And then he went, oh, that's so amazing. Um, it, he was like, it doesn't matter if you don't qualify. At least you tried. The YMCA helped you to get there. I was done with that conversation. Excuse me, it was my brains. And to like put into perspective what I had to overcome to be able to get to where yeah. I was. Yeah. My dad passed away in February. And... Um, I was literally there, like I was there, I held his hand, mm -hmm. they turned off the machines, he suffered from cancer really badly, mm -hmm. um, and we were all with him, my brothers, my mum, while, mm -hmm. while he passed away. My dad passed away on Wednesday, I had an official health and social care exam on Monday, and I turned up to that thing and I sat it and I got a distinction. Smashed it, it. Yeah. That's, That's impressive. So then for him to turn around and go, the words, yeah, it doesn't matter if you don't qualify, no one got you through that apart from you. You sat that exam. Mm -hmm. You made the decision to sit that exam. Not many people would have sat that exam, but you did, and that was you. Mm. Yeah, the staff here are great. They give you a lot of support, but ultimately, the things you do are you. But for him yeah. to come in here and then tell me it's okay if you don't qualify, like, it is fine if I don't yeah. qualify. But it's but the why tone. would he say that to anyone in another position? Why would you? Yeah, why would you say that to me? It was the photo that did it for me. It was just the, the way he, he stood up us. There are 52 yeah. vulnerable people yeah. living in here. Vulnerable and you don't even have time to reasons. listen to two of them. And I think it's also... So I've been lobbying in Parliament. I've been up to Parliament a couple of times mm -hmm. since Ju um, June. Yeah, you've been doing a lot of work. For the cost of living crisis, because yeah. it's insane, mm -hmm. and I have interacted with in Parliament. I've told my story um, about how crazy it is living on after you've paid your rent and your council tax. It's basically a hundred quid a month. Yeah. About how mad it is to do mm -hmm. that, and I'm fortunate because I don't have to pay for my Wi-Fi. Like we don't in, have the bills. We don't have the bills. Yeah. We pay the rent. That covers covers the cost yeah, it's of the like bills. A service fee, isn't it's it? a service charge. So I don't have to literally sit there and fork out the money and section out the money to pay for electricity, gas, water, mm -hmm. and, and Wi-Fi. Mm -hmm. But there are people who do, and I the, the craziest story was of someone who freezes water because mm -hmm. uh, they can't afford to eat. They freeze water so that when they wake up, they can chew on the ice. Yeah, so it's a sensational like eating. Yeah, I've heard that. So I went with this to the parliament and I interacted with amazing. MPs mm -hmm. and some of them were conservative some yeah. of them weren't mm -hmm. but I interacted with amazing MPs so they understand what they've been they've been put in power they were voted in power by That's us thing, yeah. but it just seemed very convenient to me that he only wanted to hear from the big bosses but he also because you 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 had something that you spoke to him about last year so you were going to hold him accountable for that yeah. The, um, there was the other friend, the boy, the yeah. who had had his campaign, and then this other campaign that you were yeah. going to hold him accountable for. I think he subconsciously knew that he was going to be held accountable, and so yeah. it was like, I'm just going to run right past him. Yeah. The whole point of us having this business was the whole thing around, like, more needs to be done. Like, we are not doing enough. As a community, mm -hmm. not enough is being done. 
but we can't do it on our own. And this was why I think I was so hot on speaking to him. Because like, even if I can just get answers from other people. Because I had people asking me what was going on about like, obviously the CAMS waiting list are through the roof now. It's a two year wait for an assessment just for CAMS now. Adults is 18 months-ish, depending on where you're at. Don't get started on CAMS. Depending on where you're at, it's very, the waiting lists are ridiculous and no one's got any answers. So this whole meeting, I was going to address all of that. Yeah, and it wasn't going to be an attack on We weren't going to come after him. There was no, no like, we weren't going to argue with the man. It was going to be a genuine conversation about, okay, what do we need and what can realistically be done? But I've was, had a few, as I said, a few interviews yeah. and um, the, the last two that I did, I did, I won't name the organisations, no. but... Um, I had words put into my mouth and I was telling my story and um, at the end of one of these interviews the person just said okay so can you please look at the camera and say please donate so the YMCA can save people just like they have me. No I couldn't do that and I, I said, feel like I was on one of those adverts. I said this I didn't I wasn't That's told. awful. I wasn't told this was an ad number one. Number two, they said that they wanted to uh, follow up with a, another interview that I had done with them previously, and um, that was what was said in the email that was sent to me about them coming. They came to my home, mm -hmm. this building, and then they came to my flat, which is the ultimate sanctuary. That's your like, safe, that's safe my safest place. space. Yeah. And then they came and got me to plug the YMCA. I, no, I hate that. And I came and asked the manager about it. And I, I told them, no, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. But coming to basically use me to ask for money. Yeah, no, that's I understand this is a charity, but be transparent from the yeah. get-go. If that's what you're after, then like, be honest. Like, trust us, we want the money just as much as, like, everyone else does. Like, the yeah. more money that gets donated, like, I'll put a link somewhere about how you can kind of donate to the YMCA if that's something you want to do. So I um, have had about four attempts on my life yeah. throughout the years. Mm. Um, three of them my mum was aware of and didn't tell anybody and mm. so I could have died under her watch and no one would have known. Yeah, that's just that ultimate neglect then, isn't it? Uh, yes. And then um, the fourth one I had when I was 14 and I was at my boarding school. Um, it's in another area of the UK but I was, I was there. Mm. And I... Um, attempted to take my own life and I was taken to hospital and then after I I had to have my stomach pumped and it was a whole thing. Traumatic. It was really traumatic. It was awful. Um, then I was sent to CAMS. So I had this meeting with them and then my poor dad, I think I have to, uh, my dad's not here anymore, he can't speak for yeah. himself, but my poor dad um, was also used. Yeah. So everything, all of the abuse that used to happen to me at home, mm -hmm. my dad would be out taking care of his mum, which I think yeah. is disgusting yeah, that just, yeah, no. my dad is doing the right thing mm -hmm. and my mum is using that time to yeah. abuse me. Mm -hmm. It's it's this hideous. Yeah. But um, so my poor dad was not aware that I was having mental health issues because my mum wasn't telling him. Mm -hmm. So he was shocked by me being in the hospital yeah. and then you know it's overwhelming for him to have been in a hospital yeah. where the doctors are telling him you know she potentially might not make it if this procedure yeah. doesn't work and then i did make it and then being sent to cams and the cams office building is 
It's scary. It's a scary. Oh, yeah. It's a like, scary place. I mean, I always find camps quite funny actually because I don't know what the other ones are like. I've only been to the one in this area, but they. I really struggled to go to camps once I probably got past the age of about 13, 14 because it's very. In our one, they had like Sean the Sheep play in the background. I know. They go colouring photos, and I was like, hang on a minute. It you look to after, drive you crazy. You look after kids till they're eighteen. You and know, no eighteen-year-old wants to Sean the Sheep. Have Sean the Sheep play. Peppa Pig. Peppa Pig was playing in the one I was at. Yeah. Um, but my mum and dad and I were in this office with this lady, mm. and then she was talking to my mum. She was talking through my mum yeah. to me. Yeah. And then I was like, just talk to me directly. I'm the one with the mental health issues. And of course, my mum didn't tell this lady either no. that I had had yeah, yeah, previous yeah. attempts previous, yeah. before. So my mum just goes, oh, she's just looking for attention. Um, she's clearly not getting enough of it at home. She's trying to make a scene, you know. Well, no, actually. Mm. The first time I attempted on my life was when I was nine. That, you know, yeah, that's young. something's pretty wrong for that to be yeah. happening. And then for anybody to want to take their life at whatever age, for yeah, anybody, sure. you have to have got to a bad, bad point. point. Yeah. Uh, and then the lady was like, oh, okay, so, you know, she's consistently just attention-seeking then. My mum was like, yes, yes. My poor dad just sat there like, what is going yeah. on? And then um, my mum was like, yeah, it's not going to happen again. I'm so sorry. It's embarrassing. It's a besmirching our family name, exactly her word. And um, the counsellor only turned around to me and goes, look, Papale, there are better ways to look for attention. Don't do this again. I hate that. And I was dismissed. And my mum took me for a, um, she took us out to Pizza Express. Mm-hmm. And bearing in mind that because of what happened, I've had my stomach pumped, I wasn't allowed any chilli at all. Yeah. She takes us to a place and asks for chilli sauce to be put on the pizza. My mum turned around and goes, Papale, this is the beginning of our new life. This is no longer, you know, there's not going to be these problems ever again. She turns a blind eye, basically. And if you speak to my mum now, she will tell you that she's convinced that I, I, nothing ever happened, that I was just wasting hospital NHS oh, yeah. resources. And um, three days after I was discharged from Cannes, I uh, was shipped off to Zambia with mental health issues, still recovering. Mm. I was shipped off over there to an insane level of abuse that happened over there. Yeah. Um, I don't understand. Cannes, yeah, yeah, I mean, we've had this conversation in private. Do, I think yeah. I don't understand how you can be a young person with safeguarding concerns mm-hmm. because you've had attempts in your life and this has like obviously been going on for a while and whatever mm-hmm. and then you can just disappear so what happened actually to you know i'm telling my story really for the yeah, first time yeah. to be transparent i um so i'm adopted which makes this so much worse yeah, yeah. so i my birth mum died in zambia and then my mum and dad were living in the uk and they were flying back and forth between Zambia to go to the justice, uh, the courts over there, to come to the courts in the UK, pick up paperwork and go back and forth. I think it took them a year for me to actually be allowed to come and stay in the UK. And then my adoption was finalised, I think, when I was two. So she was going back and forth with my mum and was basically putting on a front to these people Mm -hmm. for a whole year. And to be able to do that between two places, Girl, your acting is insane. Yeah, that's like low-key impressive. Robert Downey Jr., who? Yeah. Come and collect your Oscar, Miss No, it's like, she's like done the most. She's done the most. But she 
was doing all of this and then I was picked up and adopted and, and, and whatever and um, people who might not be aware when you're adopted you have a social worker who comes to check in on you and my mum was you know consistently appearing to tick all the boxes that social worker needed to check on and they a good social worker will not will, will turn up and announce yeah, so if yeah. anything is going on yeah they, they won't realize it. it yeah yeah so um my mum was just very good at all of this and my brother's um been telling me that actually the relationship between me and my mum was never okay no. but um I the police can't really remember no i can't really remember yeah. but the police were involved with me when i was 12 and if there's something people who might not live in the uk um when the police are called to a place of residence, whether that's because someone is doing something and the police are called to arrest them, or whether the police are coming for a safeguarding issue, yeah, welfare, welfare, check. welfare check, the school that you go to is immediately notified. Yes. I wasn't aware of that as a 12 year old, but no. when before I got kicked out, the police were regularly being involved with me, I think yeah. five or six times in like three weeks. It was insane. Um, so, on top of the camp's mental health, the school also were aware of um, me being a, you know, a, a safeguarding risk yeah. and the police were they also aware. involvement on top of it. So it's insane mm -hmm. that all of this was surrounding me, supposed to be safeguarding me, yeah. and then I was shipped off to Zambia. My brothers were, my dad, my brothers, my family were all told different stories about why I was being yeah. shipped out. Um, my friends were all told different stories and my godparents were all told different yeah. stories about why I was being shipped out to Sandia. But um, I, I was sent out there. Then I was supposed to return. I had a return ticket. Mm -hmm. I was supposed to fly back. I was given a... Uh, I was called by social services in, um, in the UK. They called me on my mobile out there and said, Hi, we're social services. Just calling you to inform you that... Um, uh, we are aware that you're not coming back. How do you feel about this? I had no knowledge that I wasn't coming back here. I still had a school place. I was still at my boarding school. I still had exams to sit. There was everything that was going to happen for me. It was all set up. I was about to start Guildhall School of Music, which is a prestigious yeah, music school. school. Um, all sorts of things were in place for me. And I was like, what do you mean? And she goes, well, I'm not too sure of what's actually going on, but I just needed to ask that um, you're not being sold into child marriage. Can you confirm? And I said, not that I'm aware of. And then she goes, and I also need to confirm that you're not being sold into child prostitution. And I was like, uh, uh, no. And then the phone call pretty much ended. And then I got another call from the British Council in Zambia, basically confirming the same thing. Mm -hmm. And then I didn't hear from any organisation from the UK. You literally just disappeared off the radar. I disappeared off the radar. I was sold into child prostitution. Yeah. I was abused sexually mm -hmm. out there. I also was just yeah. confused. Yeah. I think as a young person, the fear of getting other people into trouble yeah. is like so strong, especially I think when it comes to like family. Yeah, and it was it was family yeah. that was doing this to me. It was it was family. Yeah. So the people the people that I had been sent to stay with were the ones who were abusing me in this way. And I uh, I didn't know who to tell. And mm. culturally, mental health is treated differently yeah. um, in Zambia than it is here. 
bearing in mind when I was sent out there, I had only been out of hospital for three days. So I was, I wasn't. You should have still been on like a high risk, some form of safeguarding. Cause I know normally, I don't know if this was something that was maybe done or not, I don't know, but usually if you're under 18 mm -hmm. and there is a attempt on your life, mm -hmm. social services will be informed. Mm -hmm. That's how, that's legally how it is supposed to yeah. work. And I also know that the worst people that social workers can talk to is the people that are doing it to you. Mm -hmm. Like they shouldn't, I've always said I've been very hot on it, it's the same with cams, I don't understand why. Parents are in the room. And I could never understand that because it's like, well, hang on a minute, they're not going to admit. If they're hitting their children, they're, they're, not, gonna they're not gonna say, oh yeah, I do hit my child at the time. I wake up and I'm annoyed at the wall, so I just take it out yeah, on, on no. my son. I mean, so you're in Zambia for how long? Three years? Three years. And then you came back. And I came back, yes. Did you have any kind of, were social services anywhere to be seen when you came back? No. No. No, social services were nowhere to be seen. And I was under, I was this 17. Is I mean, I'm still a child. I was under 18 at that point. And, um, I mean, I, you know, something that people always ask when I tell my story is, why did you not go to the police when you were in Zambia? And why did you not go? Because when you're in a place of sexual violence, or any type of violence, domestic, whatever, the last thing you're going to do is call the police on the person who's abusing you. Because it's scary. It's super scary. Because you, I mean, like, I speak quite openly about being kind of a victim of sexual violence and rape mm -hmm. and all that sort of stuff. And if there's one thing I know, it's that you don't want to get the person into trouble, mainly out of fear that it'll make it worse. And on top of that, for me, I had had my throat cut. Um, you know, yeah. honestly, yeah, I had yeah, my throat cut. Yeah. And it was like, I can, you're very disposable, I can get rid of you. And yeah. I had younger cousins who were staying in that house with me. Mm -hmm. And it was like, well, if you go to t tell anyone, it's like, if you tell my mum, my abuser, if I told their mum, uh, then they would go after my younger mm -hmm. cousins. Yeah. I think you the youngest out of protection. Was, yeah, the youngest was yeah. um, nine at that time. And I was like, she does not need that you know yeah, yeah, yeah. um so there was all of this kind of stuff mm -hmm. you know if you tell the police she's gonna get it yeah you know and when i got back and my mum I, I eventually uh i was forced to tell my mum i didn't even yeah. tell my mum i was forced to tell my mum um she literally locked us in the car and mm -hmm. was like we're not going home until you tell me and it took me like four hours yeah, to do so, yeah, but eventually I did. Yeah. I did tell her, and um, the first thing she went was, "Well, what were you, what were you, you know, what were you wearing? What were you doing?" And it's that's like a thing that I, it disgusts me. What was I wearing? Well, actually, I was in the shower, Mum. Yeah. I was in the shower when the door locked, and he picked the lock to mm. get into the shower to get to me. Yeah. You telling me that I shouldn't have been showering? Yeah. Is that what you're saying? That I shouldn't have been cleaning myself? Mm. That I shouldn't have been asleep because he would pick the lock in my bedroom to mm. get in when I was asleep? That was no escaping this person. No, and that's the thing that I think maybe essentially, you know, the police, whatever, kind of. It's very hit and miss now. Mm -hmm. um, when I was first assaulted, when I was 17, mm -hmm. by someone that I was in a relationship with at the time, I was 18, just turned 18, by someone I was in a relationship with at the time, it was, the first thing the police said to me was like, well, why was he in your house? Why was he in your house? And I was like, well, because I was in a relationship with him. Yeah, but if you didn't, if you didn't, if you didn't feel safe with him, why'd you let him in? 
Like, cause he wouldn't have found a way any other way. Oh, right, well, okay, well, what were you wearing? Have you been drinking? Were you on drugs? Blah, blah, blah. Like, it's very, mm -hmm. it was very victim blaming. Yeah. And I think that's still something that a lot of people feel. Yeah, and I just couldn't, you know, I couldn't do that in Zambia yeah. because in Zambia also, it's a very much the boy, mm -hmm. it's the girl that's the problem. Yeah. So when I eventually, I eventually came forward to the person who was supposed to be in charge of my safeguarding, and she went, her words were, well, what were you, you know, uh, she said, I've seen you walking around in a, a skirt that's a bit tight. You shouldn't have been doing that. Well, excuse me, they are my family, number yeah. one. You shouldn't have been looking at me in no, that way like, anyway. No, like your family should not be looking at you like that at all. No, and number two, it doesn't matter if I was walking around goddamn naked. He has no right to touch me. Yeah. And I wasn't walking around naked. No, I had to self-preservation. Even if you were, though, like that, that's something that I think is very still consistent at the moment. Mm -hmm. It's like, just, you know, I could have all my clothes off and, you know, if I say no, it still means no. Like, that mm -hmm. doesn't give someone a right. And I think it's scary how much, you know, like, what you went through in Zambia was, like, so insane. And I think for you to go through that comeback and then social services to essentially be nowhere. They were nowhere to be found. And when, you know, my brothers were by my side 100 percent mm -hmm. all the way they dropped everything my mum called my oldest brother mm -hmm. and when mapalo's been sleeping with her cousin well that's not what was going on no, anyway not, right. and then my sister-in-law was like well if you were sleeping with him voluntarily there's still something wrong there no, and yeah. we need to support you getting help yeah um but uh, my brother was like, uh, absolutely not. That's not the girl that I know. He came running to come and find that, you know. And somehow my mum managed to twist this whole thing from, oh, Paolo was assaulted and a victim of stuff for three years. Like, I couldn't get out of that situation. Like, I called home and I begged without telling what was going on. Yeah. I was like, can I come home, please? I'm begging. Mm -hmm. And, like, it's the worst thing is that my aunt found out just before my brother's wedding in 2019, when I'd been there for two years. And we came back from my brother's wedding. Um, and my aunt, I told my aunt because I um, actually thought I was pregnant. So I was like, "Oh, I can't, I can't do this." I, you know, I know my aunt there with me. I need to, I need to get get some help, whatever. Uh, when my aunt found out, went to the hospital, found out that I wasn't pregnant. She came back and she got the pair of us in her bedroom, and she prayed over us. And she literally, so this is how it is: is that it's not. This is not everyone. This is not the whole Zambian culture because. Most of the Zambian culture is gorgeous. Yeah. But she prayed over us, she put her hands on her head and went, I I remove this, I remove this demon, I rebuke this demon that is in my soul. In my soul, this demon shall come out. That is making this boy do these things, it will come out. Then she finished the prayer and she went, I felt the demon leave. And she, knowing what I had just told her, she yeah. went out and left us on our own. And of course he did it again. Of course he did, yeah. And then she came back to my parents' house, in my parents' house, and sat us down and said, Paula has something to tell you. I was way too scared. These, yeah. you know, African aunties are very overbearing yeah. uh, personalities. My mum on top of that, and my poor little dad, I was just seeing him, and yeah. I was like, he's going to be shattered. Yeah. Uh, I, I couldn't find the words yeah. to tell him. And I just... Um, I couldn't find the words, I was just silent. Then my auntie goes, my father has been having trouble with maths at school. Oh. And I was like, huh? Oh, huh? And then knowing this, 
we then get back on a plane and take me all the way back over there and stay another year. And when I got back and I told my mum, she didn't call the police. She said, well, if you go to the police, all sorts of things are going to happen. And she, you know, gaslighting, gaslighting, 100%. And then turned it around to me and was like, well, when I, when I told her, she, she turned around and said, you're not allowed to shower in the same shower as me because you're going to give me AIDS. You're not allowed to use the same sink to wash your hands in. You're going to give me AIDS. You're only allowed to use the bathtub. And I had to scrub the bathtub with um, special cleaner every time I used it. I, had to, I wasn't allowed to use the washing machine. I was going to give her AIDS. I wasn't, I had, every time I used the washing line, I had to wash my clothes by hand and then clean the washing line before and clean it afterwards because I was going to give her AIDS. Ignorant. Yeah, like my mum's a teacher as well, mom, so she yeah. knows that. That's, that's, what, that's what is alarming to me. She's a teacher, so she has her teaching qualification. She used to teach the class that she used to teach my class at school. She used to be my teacher, and she would see children bullying me and we just ignore it. Yeah. You know, all of this kind of stuff. She was using her teaching prowess mm -hmm. in the wrong ways, and she gaslit me so much that she told me that if I went to the hospital for my uh, to get tested for any STDs that I might have contracted that um, I would have been arrested by the police and then she t then turned around and told me that if I didn't go and get tested that I was going to be arrested by the police so I didn't go to the police at all because I was like well I'm just going to be I'm going to be arrested for yeah. being a victim you think it's your fault and of course social services were nowhere to be seen I started at this the, this, the college that I eventually went to amazing amazing i could not sing their praises yeah. enough um they supported me so much insane amount of support that they gave yeah. um i would turn up at that college with my suitcase after my mum yeah. would kick me out they would negotiate like a victim and like a hostage situation yeah, yeah, yeah. they would negotiate with my mum for me to be able to take to go home to have a roof over my head yeah. and then you know, the police were being called an extortionate amount of times. Mm. The school was just there to support mm. every time I come into school. And then eventually when I was kicked out last year, um, they paid for me to stay in a hotel for two weeks. Mm. Then they paid for a different hotel. Then they found um, a place for me to stay. One of the teachers is a registered foster parent. So I went and I slept on her. Her living room floor then she had to have her floors done so I, I couldn't stay there then they found um another teacher who's also a foster parent and then they found uh my foster one now um also a registered foster parent i stayed with her for two months and then they organized for me to come to the Y. they paid for the hotel just while i was staying waiting for the confirmation um they bought my clothes i my mom also refused to buy me new clothes new shoes she was like, you have to earn that, you know, you, like it warped my sense of, my sense of self-worth. Yeah. Um, I was like, I'm not worth buying clothes, I'm not worth buying shoes. You know, sanitary products for an essential, she refused to buy that. My dad used to slip out of my house and buy them for me because she refused. And I didn't have any money, she refused to give me any money. So I didn't have any money for that kind of thing. Um, they bought clothes and my shoes had mouths like they were talking they were sucking up water when it rained the school oh, water shoes God. they did an insane amount for me um and i'm like well that's what social services should have been doing yeah it wasn't their job to do all of no. that but you know they did it and that's that's incredible like the fact that the people i've always found it very like amazing how people take on jobs that aren't theirs and I think yeah. it, that's just like, it kind of restores your faith in humanity a bit, especially when you've been through like pretty traumatic 
like your your sense of reality mm-hmm. um like when i go to the shop for example mm-hmm. it's really just the everyday little things mm-hmm. are really hard yeah. going to a shop like a big shop like sainsbury's mm-hmm. um the other day i realized that i'm i'm not over it i never will be yeah. over what's happened but i realized I need more help than I've probably been asking for. Yeah. Someone dropped a bottle of water or something in the shop and it made a really loud bang on the floor. And I just couldn't deal with it. I just left my shopping and came home. I pulled into bed and I was like, you know what? Yeah. Forget the shopping. But things like going to the shop, mm-hmm. just getting on a train, getting on a bus, everybody's out to get me. Yeah. Even at family functions, I was at a wedding. Um, and my brother has um, children and I was being helicopter auntie, that's how I describe myself. And at this wedding, um, I realised, and I was talking to my therapist about it, I realised that I was clutching to the children. Yeah. I was clutching to the baby, especially close to me, and I was getting really panicked if I couldn't see the children. Yeah. I didn't want them going off. I didn't want anyone holding the baby. I was getting really, really paranoid. And I realised that what had happened is the people that have hurt me the most have been my family. Yeah. And this was a family gathering. Yeah. My mum wasn't there and the, you know, they don't live in this country, yeah, they didn't yeah. come to the wedding. But um, I realised that in my subconscious, I was now, you know, putting on, mm. like, I was forcing onto everybody, like, that you're, they're gonna hurt. You were trying to do the job that you wanted someone to do, so it's been pretty heavy. It has been heavy, and I realised that my trauma response has been trying to be the safeguarding for these kids Mm. like i get really really anxious like at this wedding um and i realized by the end of it that i wasn't allowed like in my in my mind i was like no one should be holding the baby unless it's the mum or the dad yeah if you would if someone that had been through what you were going through Mm -hmm. was listening to this right now what would what would you want them to know that they're not the problem yeah they are not the problem not at all. No, There's no excuse. There's no excuse for abuse. No. There is none. No, there never will be. Um, you are not the problem. No. And that going to get some help is probably the hardest, hardest thing ever. Yeah. Um, but admitting that you need help isn't saying that you're broken. No. I think actually getting help is the strongest thing that someone can do. No, I love that. I love that. Right, so thank you everyone if you've listened all the way to the end. We really appreciate (laughs) it. As usual, mine and Alicia's socials will be linked down below. Obviously you don't forget to look at www.mind-movement.co.uk. Check out our stuff. We've got loads of new stuff coming out in the next few weeks for Christmas, which I'm so excited about. And before I where can they where can they find you? My YouTube channel is the Backwards African. I'll link it. Um, and I'm just getting up and started with yeah. public socials because yeah. I don't. The follow is going to be starting like on socials a lot more recently, so yeah. we've got a bit more. Obviously, I'll like carry on updating the bio down below. We really hope you've enjoyed it. Thank you so much for listening. Thank um, you. And we, yeah, we will, <laughs> me and Alicia will be back next week with another special guest. So stay tuned for that, and we will see you all soon. Talk to you. Bye. Bye.